Raunchy Power Hour, a book club for discussing romance from the erotic to the erroneous. As always, this is an explicit podcast and contains strong language, adult themes, and sexual content. If you are sensitive to these things, we urge you calmly but sincerely to turn off your radio now. This month, we are reading Social Distance by Jun Yi. This is part two of Social Distance. This podcast will contain spoilers of the entire book. If you want to read along with us, stop listening now. It's okay. We'll wait for you to come back. This is our concluding episode of Social Distance. If you haven't, please go listen to part one. Yes, we'll wait again. This book contains themes of COVID, racism, and mentions of abusive relationships. You have been warned. I'm your producer, Ashlam. One of your hosts, Sydney. And I'm the other talkie chit-chat woman, Lauren. Now get ready to get raunchy. Sydney, I must ask you a question, as always. And I will try and come up with a good answer. (laughs) If you contracted a nasty little cold that kept you bedridden for multiple days at a time, and you had a friends with benefits buddy that was interested in bringing you sick goodies, what would you request of them? I would request some pho because that is literally one of my favorite comfort soups of all time. Uh, And I would request socially, (laughs) socially, (laughs) some socially distance. Sexy photos. I don't know. <laughs> a follow-up question, but I think this specific scenario warrants one. Um, please describe what a sexy social distance picture is. <laughs> no idea. I guess it would just be a normal photo, wouldn't it? <laughs> I was going to be like, oh, we could do like a, a, a sexy social distance like dance thing. I don't know. Picturing <laughs> that emoji on the ios keyboard that's just like that random chick in a blue t-shirt just stood there staring into space straight ahead exactly it's literally bo burnham's sexting from inside out interesting choice of sick meal i guess i I was trying to think about what would you have because i feel like you have time to prepare for these questions and i don't i have to go on the spot (laughs) You know, normally I do. That one took me for a bit of a loop. I'm not going to lie. I think based on some empirical evidence that we have collected as of what, two hours ago, I would say not soup with Havarti cheese in it. No, especially not for Lauren. Yeah, Lauren, um, I love you, but girl, you're lactose intolerant. Don't eat, don't eat the lactose. You want to know what I'm not intolerant of? What are you not tolerant of? Gabe being a sick little BB. Oh, he's such a sweet boy. <laughs> With that being said, I think that brings us into a continued plot summary of the second half of Jun Yi's novel, Social Distance. Now, Cindy, would you like to remind the listeners of our main cast of characters and where we left off? I will. Thank you very much, Lauren. 
So we've got our two main love interests. We've got Thea, who is our foodie author, and she writes for the LA Times. And we have Gabe, who is just everything and more I want in a man. Um, (laughs) And he is a carpenter, and he's been making furniture. And they they are fuck buddies. But... They're catching feelings, so starting to complicate things, you know? And then we've got some other characters. So we've got Ray, who is Theo's boss at the newspaper. He'll come up a couple more times. We have Olivia, who is Thea's best friend and favorite cyclist gal pal. And then we've got Christina, Gabe's ex-girlfriend, who she's not actually in the book. She's just mentioned. But that is our main cast of characters. So hopping back into, well, actually, just to give a quick rundown of what happened before, uh, in five words or less, uh, COVID. Fuck buddies? Feelings. Yes. Social distance. <laughs> well, that's seven words. Anyway, so put a hyphen between fuck buddies and that counts as one. Yeah. There we go. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> so we we are jumping back into the book and we are on chapter 26. So Gabe, from where we last left off, has caught COVID and he is really not feeling good. He is a sweet little baby who's, who's so sick. Uh, and Thea being a sweet, sweet, definitely not his girlfriend decides to bring him some soup and she's very, very sweet. And we get a very, it's a very cute phone call of him not expecting to see her and just kind of caring for him, which I think we're starting. This is really where I started seeing the blurring of lives from platonic friends with benefits to more of a couple thing blurred lines happening sort of in this point and i've got to say there's not many people in this world that i would drive over in the middle of a global pandemic to bring some soup to i mean of course you are the top of my list sydney oh lauren i will say ashlyn i will say ashlyn has actually brought me food when i had covid so she is a real one Mm, a brewing romance, perhaps. Between the, the producer and the podcaster. Scandalist. <laughs> How do I put a T on the end of scandalous? <laughs> scandalous. <laughs> anyway, so now we get on to chapter seven and we get more of those blurred lines because they they are they talk on the phone a lot. Like it is a lot, a lot. And I don't know how many fuck buddies will do that with each other. Like just call and like with each other, especially in this scene where Thea, I don't remember why she called him, but she called him and then they ended up watching a scary movie together over the phone. And I was just like, girl, just admit it. He's your boyfriend. Like I would, I would not be sitting on the phone with just anyone watching any scary movie. She she literally hits him up with the you up text. So Thea's the fuck boy. Good to know. 
crazy that these two in a explicitly friends with benefits situation are doing the same ish that me and my partner do in a two year relationship for a date night. And then they were like, we have no commitment to each other beyond sex. Scratching head. Well, like, what? well, <laughs> well, that was the uh, Gabe was like, please, please, please. <laughs> That's true. Gabe was just like, I want a relationship with you. Please love mommy, me. Please. <laughs> Thank you for bringing me soup, mommy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then <laughs> chapter 29, more domestic, like more domestic stuff, because Gabe has invited Thea over for the first for a home cooked meal, which is the first time he's ever invited her over. And she is freaking out. Um, because she's like, oh, no, this is this is getting into dating boyfriend territory. And at this point in the book, we don't know why Thea is so against dating and being hesitant with dating, which we will soon realize in these next couple, couple chapters. But it was very strange to not like fully understand why she didn't want to like have a home cooked meal with him. But at the same time, like I I get it, you know? Lauren, what did you think about this? Up until this point, Thea has repeatedly, whether it was to Olivia or sort of in an internal monologue, she's repeated that she is not a dateable person. She is resistant to the idea of commitment. As we said in the last episode, her friend refers to her as commitment phobic. And so Mm -hmm. while she's been saying a lot of how she's commitment phobic and her actions also do reflect it, we haven't gotten that background piece. We don't know why she's commitment phobic, if this is just something about her personality or if there was something in her past that caused this woman to be adverse to relationships. And I think this scene where she's eating Gabe's food is a really interesting back and forth and a give and take for me. Because while on one hand, you have this really sweet domestic scene where Gabe cooks her this delicious meal, she's very impressed, they're having good conversation. You're also peering behind the curtain a bit into Thea's inner monologue of this is making me uncomfortable. We're getting too comfortable together. This feels too domestic bliss. I don't ever want to move in with someone, blah, blah, blah. And so it almost kills the moment but in a way that's done well, like it's supposed to kill the moment. And I think I feel a little bit of Thea's hesitancy here. But what did you think? Mm. I also thought I could feel Thea's hesitancy. And it's very interesting because I think a lot of it was her hiding her insecurities and what had happened to her in her past. Um, behind this wall of being like, well, it's just because we're we're in COVID and he doesn't have anybody else around and I don't either. Like she literally uses the phrase like when the bubble, when the COVID bubble pops, basically, that they will not be able to do this anymore. So I think she was kind of hiding behind that to then not realize her own feelings for Gabe, like trying to force her feelings not to be there and suppress them. true she was definitely now that i think about it you bring up that quote about the covid bubble very much puts into perspective her using the pandemic almost as an excuse for this distance she's putting between them both physically but also emotionally and while yes we're starting to see that she is a little bit 
kind of scared of their dynamic changing, especially with how worried she was when he got COVID. And one day the possibility of this being over, it is interesting that there's this constant battle in her mind at this point. And I don't know. I, I was very intrigued at this point to see where it was going to go. And really in chapter three, this is kind of chapter 30. Sorry. I don't know why I said three. We are quite far ahead from three. <laughs> but in chapter 30, this kind of all comes to a head. And we learn a, a few things about Thea because she kind of faces and creates space in between Gabe and her in the way of like not communicating with him which was unlike her and he was getting worried, which I think is very interesting to see. Like, it, it's very interesting to see like Thea's point of view, obviously, but it's also interesting to see that she kind of hides and she likes to hide behind things. And then how that affect how those actions then affect Gabe or another person. Uh, and he and she was really worried he would kind of like be mad at her because she kind of took that, which I would be, especially like I understand they are not in a relationship, but there's like this basic communication, which would be nice to go. Hey, I'm going to go right for a couple days. I'm going to be off grid kind of thing, you know, but what really kind of <laughs> poor Gabe, Gabe is such a simp and I love him. But when he said, Thea. I will always have time for you. I was kicking my little footsies in the air. I was, I was just like, because I don't know why, but that, that gets my little heart happy. And you're sensing this tension kind of starting to grow between them. That wasn't there before because of Thea's kind of like fears and Gabe, not hundred percent understanding where it's coming from. It's a little, I, I will say this chapter almost threw me a little bit and kind of shapes how I view Thea for almost the remainder of this novel. Because up until this point, we've been told and shown that Thea is fiercely independent. Again, I'm going to keep saying it, commitment phobic. And while that's all fine and good, I feel like this is the first time you could say and physically see Thea actually being quote unquote undateable. Because like you mm -hmm. said, yes, they're not in a commitment really or committed relationship of any type at this point. They've already set up the precedent of texting every day, of hooking up a couple of times a week. And this has been months at this point. Uh, yeah. And I mean, Olivia. Course. Yeah. And Olivia even pointed it out to Thea at one point being like, dude, he's basically your boyfriend without the title. You guys literally watched a scary movie together over the phone. That's not something you would just do with someone you're casually having sex with. Exactly. And so even though they haven't placed that label on it, like you said, there's already this assumption that they are sort of an item in that way. And that's especially for someone that is a full time writer like Thea. And maybe that's a gross assumption of everybody who writes. I don't know. I just write fan fiction because <laughs> I'm a freak. But for folks that write on a regular occurrence, my natural assumption would be to have at least some level of like decent communication skills. And so the fact that she just chose to ghost him and then proceeded to be worried that he would be mad at her. And I remember in this chapter, Gabe almost treaded water, or not treaded water, sorry, like walked on eggshells throughout this interaction because he kept saying things like, this feels like a test. 
this feels like I'm supposed to respond positively to this, even though I am angry, even though I wanted her to text me and it was selfish of her to do this. And then he never verbally expresses that. And she seems happy and content by that. To me, this was the first time where my opinion of Thea started to shift a little bit. Because while I can absolutely Mm -hmm. 100% respect and understand wanting to create separation and not getting too close to people, I think there still needs to be that boundary of respect. And I feel like, in a sense, she kind of just got away with it because he never asked her or pressed really for an apology of any kind. Because like you said, like he is a simp and it was very cute. I love that quote, Thea, I always have time for you. But at the same time, I had this underlying current of, I kind of want an apology. This would this would piss me off yeah. if I were in Gabe's shoes. Yeah, and I think that's a very valid criticism of that scene. Because, I mean, because we're seeing the tension between Thea not wanting to be in a relationship and starting to push Gabe physically away, even though her actions, like, having having sex with him pretty often and calling him very often and texting him and doing all that. And then suddenly kind of ghosting shows like that tension of her trying to put space in between them with then Gabe having the trauma that he has from his past relationship and feeling, feeling like this is supposed to be a test. Um, And this is, it definitely feels very early relationship first fight esque, like leading into that. Like they just haven't, built that good communication yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was definitely hoping at this point that they, they would return to this conversation and start building on that communication, but I guess we'll see. Won't we? Yeah. Well, I mean, they kind of do in the next, well, they kind of do, but they kind of don't because then Gabe, <laughs> Gabe decides to try and give Thea a spare key. And for lack of better words, Thea freaks the fuck out. Like she is, she freaks like she is so cold and so like just isolating like just isolating herself from from Gabe but she tells him point blank that she doesn't want it why would she want it why would she ever come there if he wasn't there which is very mean of Thea and then we get to I think this is this is the lowest point I I viewed Thea and this was when Thea finds a non-sexual photo of herself on Gabe's phone. Literally it's her sitting in the sunlight, I think looking away from something and he had like just snapped a picture of her, but she freaks out. She like freaks, like freaks out and like asks him if he like gets off to that. If he, why did he take it? What was his intentions? So on and so forth. And she she leaves. She basically like she just leaves right from there. And I don't know what I want to know what you thought of this part, Lauren. I mentioned in the last chapter, this is where my opinion of Thea started to tilt. I do think that. Chapter 31 was kind of a major tipping point for me for a variety of reasons, but primarily because I felt both in my opinion as a reader, but also in personal experience that Thea's reaction to finding this picture of herself on Gabe's phone was very blown out of proportion. And without going into it, because, you know, 
life be shitty sometimes. I actually had a situation similar to this that we will get to in this next chapter, chapter 32, where Thea kind of explains her reasoning for freaking out about this picture. But just to sort of set the stage, having gone through a similar experience as Thea, I could relate to this scene a lot. I could understand the thought processes and the trauma behind this quote unquote freak out. And to me, and I don't want to speak for anyone else that's endured this, but for me, this felt unwarranted. I don't think seeing a very like clothed PG rated K for kids kind of picture on a person's phone that I have been interacting with for months and has treated me with nothing but kindness would send me into such a like adrenaline pumping fight or flight where I'm like running out of his house. I'm like, you son of a bitch. She never says that. But in my mind, that's about the level of drama that was in this scene. And to me, I think this almost took me out of the moment. I'll be real. It felt very unrealistic. And I don't know if it was intended to be that way. And I don't want to make any claims about uh, what experiences Jun Yi has or hasn't had, what her familiarity with these kinds of situations is and what sort of picture she wanted to to paint with this scene. But to me, it, it definitely took me out of the story for a moment. And I kind of had to set the book down and like really think about my feelings of Thea and how this moment was portrayed. But I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about that in the next chapter. I think we will too. So let's hop into kind of that next chapter and then I'll kind of go over how I was feeling throughout this whole kind of series of events. So in chapter 32, Thea recognizes that she over she had kind of a blown up reaction um, while talking to her friend Olivia. And we find out that Thea, unfortunately, was with someone who was not the greatest to her uh, in the sense that he was away on a trip one day or for a couple days and he essentially persuaded her or manipulated whatever word you want to use here into her sending him illicit photos of herself uh and he broke her trust by sharing those photos everywhere and we also kind of find out why she's been more commitment phobic because she had been living with this man and been in a relationship with him for so long that he slowly started not caring in the same way that he did at the beginning of the relationship and started just adding on to her mental load. Like, for example, I think she said like he didn't, he would ask if he could just throw in his laundry since I was already doing it. Or could I clean this since I'm already like doing it? So on and so forth. And this is kind of why Thea is the way she is. But it, it, this one, this one explains a lot. And kind of through here, Thea then invites Gabe into her house and she tells Gabe about her ex-boyfriend and 
tells him why she reacted that way. And honestly, I think the way Gabe kind of handled the situation and handled that information was very mature of him. But Lauren, I want to know kind of what you're thinking right here. Yeah, I mean, I am glad that Thea in what I assume in the timeline of the novel, we're never really given explicitly like how long has transpired, I don't think, but in a seemingly short amount of time, had the foresight to kind of calm down, realize that Gabe probably didn't have bad intentions, but even if he did, it was worth having a mature and adult conversation about it. I was happy to see that because I felt, I, and I still feel like her reaction from a couple chapters ago was very unwarranted and blown out of proportion. I also agree that Gabe's response was very well done. He didn't question her actions. He respected the story, gave her space to tell her story, and then just gave her the comfort that she, you know, hopefully needed and wanted in that moment. Um, I think the only reservation that I had about this scene was, and again, this kind of loops back to earlier when I was wanting Gabe to push for an apology from Thea for ghosting in those couple of days. I still feel like there's a certain point where a bad event in your past, a trauma, mental illness, anything like that should not excuse bad or poor behavior. And again, I'm only speaking on the situation because I have come from it. So I don't want to make claims about any other kind of traumas or abusive relationship dynamics. But I feel like her reaction was unwarranted. It very clearly hurt Gabe's feelings. He was he describes himself as being like broken up about it, feeling awful, really scared of what he did to Thea. And I think for while it's very sweet and respectful of him to sort of like write that off and be okay with that reaction and moving forward with a new understanding between them. I do feel like at this point he's letting her or he's let her gotten away twice now with objectively not great behavior or communication. And I feel regardless of the situation, Thea was being unfair to Gabe. And it just at the end of the day, I was a little bit sad that she didn't acknowledge that. At least, I mean, she did in part, but she didn't really fully apologize. She never apologized for her actions. And I wanted to hear what you thought about that, Sydney. Mm. I, I can... So kind of what I'm going to say is I think trauma manifests in a lot of different ways. And I cannot speak on this particular type of trauma or but i think we also we've been it's been hinted at throughout the rest of the book that thea doesn't have any photos of herself online either and i think once we kind of think of that it's somewhat rash i'm saying somewhat because i do believe the reaction that she had was over was a little much but I think her fear of photography and the reason she avoids it so much came from that trauma. So the fact that he just had one is very scary to her for like her photos to be posted all over the internet because of that fear she had with that ex-partner. And I agree though that your reaction 
that's not the best wording for at a certain point trauma mental illness cannot excuse bad behavior and i also wish at this point thea apologized to gabe because i think he deserved one but i think her way of apology was by explaining And maybe that's what she thought was a valid apology. See that for her character, for sure. I think when you phrase it like that and based off of her past actions and how difficult it is for her to open up to anyone else but Olivia, that definitely makes sense. So seeing it from that angle, yes, I could see that probably in Thea's mind. That is sort of an apology. But I think as a reader, and again, as someone that like <laughs> can relate to this situation, I think looking at it, it comes off as a justification rather than an I'm sorry, because she goes into that conversation 100%. with the mindset of like, I'm going to go in, tell him this, see his reaction, and then we're going to decide how our relationship moves forward based on the intentions he had when he snapped this photo. Like she's coming into it like a judge and a jury, which is fine. She's valid in doing that. But again, once we determined Gabe had no bad intentions, he clearly didn't know about her past. So taking that picture wasn't done with any malintent whatsoever. I was still kind of like, okay, girl, when are we gonna, when are we gonna whip out the saris? When are we gonna be the simp? When are we gonna yeah. grab a little bit? Because this man deserves it. There is not many <laughs> men that would just sit on that couch and be like, fuck this dude that hurt you. I'm sorry. I really care about you no matter what shit mm-hmm. you put me through. And for her not yeah. to be like on her knees, like, I'm sorry, Gabe. You're so hot. You're so sexy. Give me your tootsies. I was a little pissed. I was a little, <laughs> no tootsies. I, no tootsies. I Lauren, to see tootsies. this isn't a foot fetish podcast. <laughs> I'm going to turn it into one. Just you wait. Mark my No. I I agree because uh, I think at one point because I think before that serious conversation she had with Gabe he literally tells her he goes the reason I took the photo was because and the reason I have it is because I miss you like when I can't see you every day and I was like oh okay man's a sweetheart he's a simp and I just don't want him to be treated like a doormat you know he deserves better Gabe is definitely written by a woman that's all I have to say <laughs> no you. You are so, I mean, like objectively, you're right, but also subjectively, you are so right. I thought that so many times from almost the first scene where he is introduced, I was like, mm-hmm. oh, this, this is a, this is a ladies man. Yeah. For the ladies, this, by the ladies. Exactly. This is what the ladies want. Men take notes. We don't want alpha males. We want Gabe. We want simps who will cook us really good food. We don't care about your Bugatti. What you oh. drive? <laughs> Surprise! Sorry. We actually want the beta males because they'll cook for us, and they'll let us go right whenever we want, <laughs> and then we become the alphas. <laughs> Listen, we alpha females are dominating the erotica genre, <gasps> and <laughs> that was foul. That was as foul as your ASMR. I don't think so. Don't tell me. Look, (laughs) look, listen, a very fast 10 second detour. The reason I did my really shitty Andrew Tate impression is because as the the primary tweeter on our 
Raunchy Power Hour Twitter at RPH Podcast. You can check us out. We get notifications of like, oh, tweets that are suggested that you check out. And I want y'all to know it's all Andrew Tate. You kidding me? I'm not. <laughs> oh, Ashlyn is freaking is out. <laughs> Listeners cannot see this, but <laughs> I just saw Ashlyn <laughs> mouthing. It's all Andrew Tate. It's all Andrew Tate. It's all we get. <laughs> Just ironic, considering we are a woman-owned podcast that talks about erotica, like LGBTQ novels. You know, oh, he would hate us. He would hate us. So he would view wild. us. He would view us as um. What is what does he call call women like us? Females. <laughs> it's females, but it was something else. Um. Not high value females. We're not high value. We're we are low dollar bottom of the barrel. We are the bottom of the trickle down theory. <laughs> Glass floor. Glass ceilings? Hell no. Glass floor. Hell no. We're all yeah. We're surprised we're actually in the basement. They don't even want to see us. Oh my god. I yeah, just know every time I log into Twitter and I try to make a tweet about Josh Josh Hutcherson or like feet or whatever it is that i want to talk about Lauren, <laughs> i don't want my feet on wiki feet listen we'll talk about this later <laughs> no we want the discussion ends here <laughs> fine what happens in the next chapter <laughs> gabe he finds out that thea her birthday is coming up and he invites her to go on the cutest Frickin' date, and he asks to take her to a drive-in movie, which is apparently very spooky and scary. Because I got confused. I thought Thea didn't like scary movies, but apparently she loves them. Also, very confused by that. I was gonna bring that up if you didn't, because when they like Facetime to watch a scary movie a few chapters ago, doesn't she say that she? can't watch a scary movie and doesn't want to watch a quiet place which is a movie that they watch because she like doesn't like scary movies and that she can only get through them with someone else but then here she's like i love scary movies i just need company maybe it was more of like modern scary movies because i would get that like older scary movies maybe not because they go to watch i don't remember what movie they go to watch in the book ashlyn's looking it up for me i think but it was like an older movie and she said she really liked them. Maybe she enjoys them because of the company and like having being scared with someone else and like fun and all that. I understand though cuz I hate scary movies and I can't sit through them. Meanwhile, the two sides of man, the duality of man is me waking up at 8am as a freshman in college to watch The Ritual, a movie on oh my Netflix. gosh. I was Why? <laughs> I don't know. I thought it was built different. I thought it was edgy. I'm, I'm glad not. I didn't. Lauren, I love you. I'm glad I didn't meet you freshman year of college. <laughs> you would have yeah, scared me. You should be. I was collecting moon water from the gutter after a full moon. <laughs> you told me about went. this! <laughs> anyway, yes, Ashley. So, for the record, the night that they watch A Quiet Place... Uh, she says that she didn't mind watching horror movies when she shared a dorm with Olivia in college. They even had weekly movie nights where they all where they all watched Asian horror. 
I don't see. I, I yeah. Um, and please hold for the movie that they watch when they go out. You're all good. I guess I just got confused with the wording. It may have just been me. No, I felt similarly. Like, say, I will say, I think, like, because she was so nervous to watch A Quiet Place. And then her only qualifying statement was, like, I don't mind scary movies. To me, I just made that leap and was like, oh, she doesn't like them. Check. Noted. Check. Good. Noted. Because that's what you say when you politely tell people you don't want to watch a scary movie. You'd be like, well, I wouldn't mind that. But I would prefer. You were exactly right. That's exactly the language I would use to like give my best impression and try to sound like we have common interests with the hot boy who wants to FaceTime me. That's exactly what I would say. Uh, oh, I use that on my current partner, I think, at one point. Be like, well, I, I don't know if I want to watch this, but I'm interested, but I would prefer. <laughs> And now straight up now, I'm just like, no, that's stupid. I don't want to watch that. <laughs> that's so valid. <laughs> I've been with him for three and a half years, so it's fine. I was about to try and do like the, the Five Nights at Freddy's, like the kids. Yay! The... Yes, Ashley. <laughs> it is the Japanese version of The Ring. It's even scarier. Yeah, that's that a scary one. Shit. He is a I've never... I've never seen it because, again, don't like horror movies. Um, Scary Cat McGee over here. But I believe it's from the late 90s. And I, from well, my knowledge, the Japanese version of The Ring is like vastly more scary than the Americanized version from the early 2000s. Oh, hi. Sorry, my cats are having a ball and playing. So if you hear meowing, it's because my older cat is beating up my younger one. Anyway, yeah, I mean, just to clarify, I I don't like scary movies in the sense that I couldn't get past this second Harry Potter movie until I was 11 years old, until I was 12 or 11 years old, because the basculus thing, when it would slither through and it would... Oh my god, it scared the shit out of me. And that film's rated PG. For pretty ghastly, pretty ghoulish, paranormal gerfuffle. Yes. We've got now we've got the chapter where they actually go to the movies. And this is definitely not not a date. Definitely not a date. Nope, nope, nope. They're just friends. And they go to the movies. And it's so cute throughout the entire thing. Gabe's really trying not to have a boner. And Thea's also trying to not because Thea was the one who said, this is just a friend's thing. This is just a friend's thing. And Gabe really tried to make it just a friend's thing. And yeah, they it's it's a it's a pretty short scene, but it's definitely filled with a lot of sexual tension because they're trying not to have sex and just, you know, do the friend thing instead of the they're they're trying to do the buddy thing instead of the fuck the fucky thing. 
they're implementing the F and the FWB. Yes, exactly. And so they go home and Gabe takes Thea home and she's actually kind of confused because she was like, oh, I thought we were going to take it to his place so we could have sex. And he's like, bye, bud. Like, he just drops her off. And she was like, oh, okay. And then we get to chapter 35 where Thea gets her sexy revenge. (laughs) (laughs) What was that? Was that a motorbike, Lauren? Is that you revving up? That's that's Gabe's motorbike that never made a second appearance. I brought it back <laughs> as a cameo. Uh, but yeah, so we f- we finally got another sex scene in this book, and it was it was as good as the first one. It was very well done, and I will not go into any more depth because <laughs> while this is over, <laughs> nope, I don't know what else to say. We'll just we'll oh, just say we it love was the effective. Woman in charge. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. It did the thing it was written to do. <laughs> uh, but then we get the big thing in which Thea has been avoiding this entire time, which is spending the night. If you remember last time, listeners, Thea gave a very clear had very clear feelings about spending the night and what that meant. And she finally caves and decides to, sp- to spend the night. So, Lauren, I kind of want to know what you felt like, how you felt about the buildup to this chapter. Like, did you like the insistence of like a platonic date to then lead, like to increase like sexual tension between the two characters to this chapter? I did. I liked it a lot because I read a lot of fan fiction and I <laughs> love the sharing one bed tag so much. It hurts. We it's all know so there's good. only one bed and somebody's got to share it. And <laughs> I think I think the teasing in all seriousness was done really well in the previous chapters. Like it genuinely felt like a buildup. And even though this took place over the course of what, like three chapters? I want to say it didn't feel disjointed. It felt very cohesive. It started very cute and platonic. The date was lovely. Then Gabe was getting a little frisky with it. And then Thea's frustrations were like, oh, oh, she's taking back and revoking her platonic ruling. Okay, that's interesting. And then the next chapter just opens with bam, like she's like knocking down his door. And it, w- it was great. I really did love this scene. Probably one of my favorites in the entire book. Uh, not for the reasons you think, you freaky deekies. I, w- I don't know. That's not a word. <laughs> Little ra- raunchy rascals. You raunchy rascals. Thank you. That's better than freaky deeky. But hey, also, listeners, comment down below if you like raunchy rascals or if you want a different nickname. I mean, we don't have many followers yet, but hopefully in the future we will. Comment down below. We know there's one of you from, was it Belgium? We have a very loyal listener from Belgium. And if that's you, we love you dearly. We see you. We hear you. Let us know if you're a raunchy rascal. So many kisses. <laughs> kisses from Ashlyn. Yes. But yeah, yeah in summary, I, I loved this scene. Uh, again, one of my favorite scenes in the whole novel. And the whole 
focus on spending the night at the end. Her resistance to it up until this point almost felt like, what's the word? Almost like a fishing line. You cast a fishing line out to reel a fish in, but the fish is only like nibbling at the bait and you keep like drawing it in. It's coming in empty handed. I've never fished before. You can tell. Lauren, where did this fishing analogy come from? You're not a fishing kind of gal. Deep in my yeehaw roots, in my fantasies. <laughs> I watch Lauren, I King of the Hill. I was about to say, is the King of the Hill part of this, or is this all Georgia? Now, Bobby, it's time <laughs> to go fishing. And that fishing is spending the night in the bed. And I thought it was great. What about you, Sydney? I was just about to do the Bobby impression of. <laughs> I thought this buildup, it was so good. I really enjoyed it. And I loved that Gabe was was respecting her boundary. And then she was the one that was just like, damn it. And she was the one who came forward and just went, screw it. Literally. (laughs) So I really thought this buildup was really, really well done. And the I liked how the writing came down to when she was like, oh, I've got to go. And he's like, just stay. It's really late. And I would feel bad about you leaving. And it was so nonchalant. And she went, okay. Um, And that actually kind of leads into the next chapter because Thea wakes up in the morning and she's expecting to feel this very uncomfortable, heavy feeling about feeling regret about spending the night. And then she doesn't. And she actually feels comfortable in this space. And I think that speaks to how much, how, how she feels about Gabe, but also how Gabe makes her feel safe. And I don't think she ever, probably since the last partner hasn't trusted someone like that. And I think this is this is the moment where Thea's starting to grow. Do I think she also needs to probably go to therapy to talk about all of these uh, all these things? Yes, but working on it. But Gabe decides to make her some breakfast, and then she finds out that she has to go to a little work function that used to be this big deal, but her coworker. Got COVID and now she has to go and she feels uncomfortable. And Gabe actually offers to go with her as her plus one. And she agrees. She goes, Yeah, come on. So 37 is them actually at the function, and Thea is looking hella hot. Like Gabe is Gabe is drooling. And well, Thea is also drooling over Gabe. They're both equally hot. They're just hot people having sex. So they go to this function. It's basically a socially distanced food experience from LA where vendors could like come in and show off their food. By the end of the night, they kind of describe it as people are mingling, but I can't really imagine it because because I just keep imagining people mingling, but they are like six feet apart. But I also know that probably wasn't actually happening. I don't know. Anyway, but Kate gets jealous because there's this guy who's a wine vendor who knows Thea and Gabe gets really jealous because she seems very comfortable around him 
And I kind of wanted, Lauren, I kind of want to, I really want to know how you feel about Gabe getting jealous here. Like, was it hot? Was it possessive? How, like, how would you, how would have you handled this whole situation if you were in, like, his place? I want to preface this by saying when we record these episodes, something awakens within me. And I feel this insatiable desire to be my most unhinged, fiendish, and painfully and probably mistakenly honest version of myself. And this is the time in which I'm going to do this in this episode because I have a jealousy kink. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> the, the foot fetish, it's for haha giggles, haha funnies. I love when a man, woman, oh my gosh, anybody is jealous. Is that toxic? Yes. <laughs> Should I go so wait, see some help? Quick question. Busters, <laughs> quick question. Is this just, I hope this is just in fiction. The silence tells me otherwise, so okay. Good to know. Um, <laughs> look, look, in my defense, in my defense, here we are, here we are. Let me tell you something. I, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. <laughs> I will admit there is a point at which jealousy becomes possessiveness and the possessiveness becomes toxic behavior and viewing your partner as an object that no one should interact with. That, males. Yes, that is bad. We, we don't support that. That's men's wrongs. We don't support men's wrongs, but we do support women's rights. And we support when a woman is so desirable that their partner feels internally we're going to keep it internal internally threatened or technically her partner they have not said that exactly exactly they're not even in a committed relationship and this man is burning for her he i burn for you i burn all right ashlyn's giving us crazy eyes ashlyn it's it's from bridgerton Yeah, no, Gabe is burning for her, Duke style. I mean, he literally is so jealous over a co-worker of hers. Well, not even really a co-worker. He's kind of like a business partner that they were also friends way back in their school years or some-ish. Not really important. There's nothing romantic going between them, but they have a natural chemistry just because they've had years of history together. They're business partners. Like, they're two pretty people standing next to each other. (laughs) And it makes him jealous because they look like a good pair. And I was like, Gabe. Honey. I know. And then Thea has to reassure him. She like places a hand on his forearm or something. And she's like, there's nothing going on between me and Goldilocks. You're okay. And I just, I listen, I just, I want to, I want to be so special to someone that they would kill a man for me. Okay. Is it, is there something so wrong with And I think after that, she literally tells him, she goes, do you want to go like take this off me or something like that? Like the dress that she was wearing. He was just like, yep, 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 yep. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I can agree with that. Um, for me personally, it felt a little out of nowhere, but at the same time, they haven't had an interaction with other people 
together yet in this book. So maybe that's why it kind of felt out there because we really haven't had other interactions of these two as romantic partners with other people um, and how they react within the world just because of what the setting is like COVID. So it felt a little like out of that field, but at the same time, made sense and especially with how gabe's feeling like gabe basically feels like they are in a relationship just without the title and thea is just going la 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 <laughs> i'm just a freak so like <laughs> that's probably the normal reaction to reading that scene i'm just out here being like oh i love feeling like an object to me <laughs> no i don't <laughs> Anyway, my promise. <laughs> anyway, in chapter thirty-eight, we just kind of get a montage of Thea and Gabe being domestic and being cute and dating. Not dating, definitely not dating. As Thea keeps reiterating, definitely not dating. But she's sleeping over more. And then we get to chapter thirty-nine, which Ashlyn wrote a great, great question. I'm going to bring it up. It says. Why does Thea grow food if she doesn't cook? <laughs> Which I think is a very funny thing, because I also agree. I'm like, why does she grow plants when she, like, tomatoes and all that, when she doesn't cook? Weird. <laughs> that was but, a catch. I didn't get that when I was reading, but I saw it in the chapter summaries, and I was like, you're so right. Why, do, why does she do that? What do I mean, I guess it's just for? something to do. I guess. I mean, it's something due during COVID, I guess. I don't know. But then we get Gabe also helping out and like helping cook dinner because Gabe's also a really great cook. And then Gabe tries to start actually discussing his feelings and going kind of deeper. And Thea, instead of wanting to talk about it, Kind of uses sex as a way to not like it to distract him and to get him off the topic. And I want to root for Thea. I really do. But she's she's not doing great for me right now. And I think this is I think this is on purpose, obviously. But. I understand why she is so worried about getting connected we get it we've gotten the backstory but um, but at this point i'm like thea girl he obviously wants something more and it's not fair of you to keep trying to like stop that conversation from happening yeah if this were a game of baseball this would be three strikes out for thea in terms of like red flaggy communication to me at this Mm -hmm. point i was like She's getting a little toxic because that's one thing to not want to enter the territory of having that conversation and risk potentially changing up this like easy dynamic that you've been enjoying and fallen into and want to keep going. That's fine. But like, say that don't Mm -hmm. end the conversation with a distraction in hopes that it just goes away. You're both adults in your late 20s. Now she's now she's 30. You can you you can tell them, hey, can we put a pin in this for later? I really need some time to think about it or there should be a better time and place for this. But instead, she doesn't respect those feelings. And then she goes, we're going to 
strike out and I'm going to go nom on your. Yeah. Nom on is is what, Lauren? Finish a sentence. His baseball bat. (laughs) Sydney, save me. I'm striking out. I'm I'm not going to. I'm going to leave that there. (laughs) You're out. Now we we kind of get into kind of we're starting to get into the climax of the book. We're getting close to it. So Thea in chapter 41 is trying to distract herself away from Gabe and it opens with her just gardening. And then she goes in to actually have a cycle class with Olivia because it's not working. And she, and she talks to Olivia and Olivia basically Olivia is her voice of reason. It is her rational brain talking to her. And it's just like, girl, you are like in a relationship or you need to tell him like, you're obviously leading him on kind of thing. And then in 42, Oh, this, this one kind of broke my heart a bit. Cause I knew what was coming. Gabe realizes that he misses Thea. Like he's missing her when they can't hang out and be together. And he realizes that he loves her. And. Oh, wait, no, wait, I am skipping over a huge part. I'm miss. I'm skipping over chapter 40, which is actually the climax of this book. Personally. And that is when, because Thea didn't discuss her feelings with Gabe and Gabe wasn't able to express some feelings, Gabe has made room in his home for Thea in the sense like he moved books from his bookshelves and he actually made her a chair so that she could sit in and write in his backyard. And he also left a toothbrush for her to use whenever he's over, whenever she's over. And she, she completely like just emotionally shuts down. She and she ends things there. And Gabe is in shock. He doesn't understand. And it's, it's a heartbreaking. I'll be honest. I, rom-coms follow a pattern typically you'll get the couple together and they'll be doing their thing they'll be doing their montage thing and then something happens where they're starting to be more domestic and then there's that conflict right before the climax where the characters have to get back together to get again and i knew that was coming for some reason it really hit here for me personally and i want to know what your reaction to this climax kind of was lauren yeah, well, I mean, a couple rising of- to the climax. Never mind. True. A couple chapters ago, we were playing baseball. Now we're playing <laughs> football. Thea just got carded and she's out of the game. Like, I, again, just kind of reiterating what I said before, it's okay to not want Gabe to build these spaces for you within his life. It's okay to be a little alarmed, a little freaked out, a little hesitant about him building this chair, about him having a toothbrush and very obviously trying to progress your relationship and and your significance in his life. There are ways to communicate that. 
Yeah. There are ways to be respectful of the time and the effort that he has made to crafting this chair and for setting aside these spaces. And what she ends up doing instead, in my opinion, can best be described as like volatile and a, just painfully and ignorantly abrupt. Like, I mean, Sydney, mm-hmm. it was not exaggerating when she says, like, she just ends it then and there and then walks out, like, with no explanation. And yeah. Dave is just left standing in the in the living room or the kitchen just being like, what did I do wrong? He doesn't even know what he did wrong, which is so disrespectful and heartbreaking. Right. And again, all of this building up throughout the second half of the novel, to me, just made me feel like she... And I say this because Gabe starts to actually think this. He starts to internalize this pattern in his head. She really is using him in a sense. Mm -hmm. While that's not her caught conscious intention, it's what it's being read as both by readers like me and Gabe. And there's just no, I feel like there's just no consideration for him and his feelings in this. And I was genuinely, I I was mad. I was really mad about this. What do you think? I, I was upset at her. Yeah, because I was just like, girl, you actively didn't want to discuss your feelings. So it's it's hard for me to feel sympathy for Thea when because he wasn't able to communicate his feelings because she actively is trying not to have those discussions. She was then shocked. She then kind of caused her own shock when he revealed all these things to her. You know? And I still, I, I still enjoy Thea as a character, but at this point I was, I was really upset with her and I really felt for Gabe and I felt awful for him and kind of what he'd been through. And because it just kind of, I think he reflected and he even said like, it kind of felt like what happened with his other ex-girlfriend. So I don't know. It broke my heart for him. So then that's kind of (laughs) where literally we have in our notes, uh, Thea and I have beef. (laughs) And she, Thea tries to distract herself by gardening. So we're going back to what I said before, but yeah, she was trying to, she's now gardening to distract herself from Gabe. And then she hops on the bicycle to try to sweat out her sadness or something. That's not how that works. But Olivia kind of talks to her and gives her the voice of reason. So chapter 42, I think it's about, it's about a week later after you kind of stormed out and Gabe just realizes that even though Thea didn't leave anything with him, I feel like there's just a hole missing in his home and in, in his heart. Because he realized that he loved her and he realizes that he never got to tell her that he loved her. And it broke my heart. I was very sad. I was also very sad to the point where, and Ashley and Sydney know this, um, but listeners, as a quick little disclaimer for my transgressions, I was so infuriated with Thea at this point in the novel that I actively decided to skim. And the word skim here is a very generous word. 
the remainder of the chapters until like the last two, because I did not want to go through the the AO3 miscommunication tag. It's one of my least favorite tags to see <laughs> in a fan fiction. And this was that. I did not want to go through that for several chapters. And so I just have no thoughts and will be experiencing these last few chapters pretty much for the first time as you all will. So Sydney, you know, bring me home. <laughs> Give me this home run. I don't know what's happening in this book anymore. Lauren, that is the third sports reference. I'm surprised. I promise I'm not an athlete or an enjoyer of the athletics. I'm a bad kid. I was about to say, Lauren, you are the definition of a bad kid. I I just do my clickety clack on a keyboard from nine to five and do not see the sun for several days. What did you play in band? I played. What you know what, Ashley? What do you think I played? This is actually very interesting. You strike me as like a woodwind, so flute, clarinet, possibly French horn. Hey, you got it. I played the French horn and the mellophone. Lauren, I played trumpet. I love that. I like trumpets. Listen, listeners, for the record, me and Sydney lived out a very IRL enemies to lovers romance. Oh, Lauren, we should keep this. We should keep the secret. Let them, let the listeners think on what our story is. Maybe one day, if we get enough ratings and comments on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, wink, wink, hint, hint, um, we'll tell the story. It's a yeah, good we'll one. Give, we'll give the full story on how Lauren and I were competing <laughs> and then how we became best friends. Yo. Yo. In, enemies to lovers. I write fan fiction in real life. <laughs> Lauren, you're so good at writing, it became real. Oh, thank you. I try. I try. <laughs> anyway. So yeah, listeners, if you want to hear that story, uh, yeah, you tell your friends about it and maybe one day we'll tell you the story. <laughs> yeah, tell your friends about these two random strangers on the internet that may or may not have an enemies to lovers platonic question mark romance. So Lauren. Yeah. Hush. Let's keep our relationship status secret. As Facebook would call it. It's complicated. It's very complicated. <laughs> when we hit triple digits on followers, we'll do a Q&A and you guys will tell the story. Well, only if they ask nicely. You gotta say, please, mommy. is <laughs> having a good addiction. <laughs> mommy? Sorry. Mommy? Please? Sorry. <laughs> Our producer actively just put down her headphones because she hates us. Anyway, before I get fired from this podcast, I don't get paid for it. Let's move on to the next chapter. The only person who gets paid here is Craig, and he's the bot that records our audio. So... Because Lauren skimmed the rest of these chapters, um, I did not. I was fully invested. And I knew uh, 
I knew what was coming. It wasn't, but it still was so good. So in chapter 43, we learned that Thea had forgotten to cancel her flight to Taipei. Taipei? Taipei? Okay, I did it right. I did it the first time and then I faked myself out. Taipei. Taipei. Thank you, Ashlyn. (laughs) So she, at the beginning of the book, she kind of mentioned that she had booked a trip before the pandemic to go see her family because she tries to do that every year for like a couple weeks. And she realizes that her flight is tomorrow and she has not canceled it. So she kind of goes through the motions and she realizes that she's going to go. She's going to go see her parents because she kind of wants to. She thinks running from L.A. will help her escape the thoughts of Gabe and the the pain of it all. Because Thea is also heartbroken. Um, and dealing with heartbreak, even though definitely weren't in a relationship. So chapter 44, we get a scene of Gabe back with his family. It's another family dinner. And I don't remember how long. So at this point, we're kind of jumping back and forth between what time it, what time is going on because when Gabe sees his family, I think it's like two weeks after they had the issue, but Thea realizing her flight is the next day is a month after. So there's a little jumping around of timelines, but Gabe goes to have dinner with his family. There's still tension between Gabe and his father. And they finally talk and Gabe thought the whole thing, like their whole disagreement and the reason they weren't talking was because his father was disappointed in him with his career choice, basically thinking that Gabe thought his dad was disappointed in him for not choosing a quote unquote real job, like sitting at an office doing a nine to five. But in reality, Gabe's dad was disappointed because he wanted Gabe to be happy and he wanted him to enjoy his work and not and not be stuck. And he knew that even though it was good money, that Gabe wasn't going to be as happy as he could be what he's basically doing now, which is making furniture and chairs and working with his hands in that way and using his creativity to create really beautiful things. And I thought this was a very... It was a heart-touching moment, I will say. And a lot of growth on Gabe's part because he finally kind of swallows his pride a bit. And I don't know. This was a very touchwarming scene. Lauren, I'm curious if you read this part or like kind of knew what was going on here. Um, I, I read the chapter title, which was chapter 44. Okay. I will say you missed out. You missed out on a really heartfelt suite. You missed out on a very heartfelt scene. So I would recommend you go back and actually read that one. 
I, I'm sure I did. And that was very sweet, like hearing you talk about it. I think I was just so consumed by anger that I literally was like, when does this man get an apology that I missed the actual apology? Yeah, you missed the apology from his dad. I can't believe that. LOL. Which honestly is more important than Dia's apology to him. Anyway. So true. So. 45. Gabe has actually been making. Another, he's been making a little like neighborhood library for Thea to put out in her front yard. And he actually. So we find out that this is about a month. After. So getting back up to current time with what's going on with Thea. He tries to reach out to her and there's no answer. So with chapter 46, Gabe decides to go to her home and to drop this off. And he knocks and unlike Thea, there's, there's no response. So he's concerned. And then he finds out that Thea had left for Taiwan that morning, about now, about a couple hours ago. And we get the very rom-com rush to the airport to uh, go, like, confess feelings and go see her before she leaves. <laughs> I think it's interesting. I don't think he... Re- I think he does mention the motorcycle at this point. Like, he said he wished he had the motorcycle at this point instead of his truck. Yeah. Where did it go, Gabe? It um, wasn't his. It wasn't his, Lauren. Whose was it? It was the restaurants, remember? That was owned by, like, that family what? friend that he had. What restaurant is... Give- That's right, because we made the joke about Josh Hutcherson getting boats and then Gabe getting motorcycles. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, and it was, like, his friend. Remember, he was coming in for, like, his friend. So, like, it was his friend's bike that was from the restaurant that his friend's family owned. Man. He lost cool points for not having a bike. I'm sorry. It's okay. But he won cool points by running to the airport. Not, yeah, not he on did. He didn't run. He he drove in LA traffic. But yeah, yeah, it's actually very interesting because he does bring up. He's just like, come on, come on, come on. I think Ashlyn's looking up if he does mention the bike. I feel like he did, but I may be wrong. I I hope he does because. <laughs> I'm forever thinking about that bike and I want to close that loop in my head. Yeah. But (laughs) Oh, he doesn't mention the bike. Not that I can find. Oh, I thought he did. That's my bad. He just complains a lot about traffic and that he would much rather throw it into park in the middle of the road and run in. Got it. Right. Uh, So he does actually accurately describe what LA traffic is like. I can say this as someone who's visited LA. Um, only once. <laughs> Maybe that's enough. <laughs> exactly. It's enough. Uh, so <laughs> Gabe gets into the airport and gets to baggage claim and he's I he starts freaking out and he tries to yell for Thea and starts yelling her name and then he's pretty dejected and he's about to leave when he hears Gabe and it's Thea. And he turns around and he's like, I thought I thought you were meant to be on your flight. And she says, I couldn't leave. Because of all the unresolved stuff between us. And I was 
I was kicking my footsies again. Um, and before she can really continue, he confesses that he loves that he loves her. And Thea does kind of shut down again, but it's very it, not in like the same sense of what she did before. It's more of the sense of like her needing to kind of sit and process what he just said. And he offers to drive her home. I, I feel like I'm undermining like how much how how amazing this love confession was. I feel like I am because it is it is very, very heartwarming to hear Gabe just like get that off his chest and just go, I love you. I need to tell you like I can't I can't sit here and just not tell you because it's just it's going to break me if I if I don't like and I don't care. I just need you to know that I love you. We're watching Ashlyn type in real time in our book notes. Yeah. And I just see that Junie did a great job with this confession. Yes. Yes. I think I, I don't know if you read it, Lauren, but Ashlyn and I agree that this was a great confession. I did actually read this part. I tuned back in at chapter 47. I was really skimming Mm -hmm. to see when they would come back together because I just Mm -hmm. didn't want the will they, won't they in between. I was like, come on, you both love each other. Just say it. So. I'm one of those freaks that reads the last page of the novel for, I don't actually do that, but it felt like that in this instance. If any of you do that, I guess we love you anyway. But for this chapter, I also agree. I think the premise itself, I was a little hesitant of going in because I was like, ah, feels very rom-com-y, almost meet cute type. Uh, is this going to be what? cheesy? Yeah. But then I thought it was very well done. It felt like, yes, it was cheesy, but like in a good way. Like it was cheesy, yes. and satisfying yes. ending of a romance novel. And then it was still underlined with a level of realisticness with that confession. What Gabe says is very raw. It's very real. It felt natural. It didn't feel forced or like overly poetic to me. It was great. And it also is a little bit laughable that it occurs in the hectic LAX airport. I found that <laughs> yeah. hilarious when you really think about it. It's probably like, yeah, in the background, he's like, I love you. I love you, Thea. You've, you're my one and only. He doesn't say that, but you're my one and only. And then like someone's like bangs into his calf with a suitcase. He's like, oh, fuck. Sorry. Yeah, it's um, it's 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 definitely not like Harry met Sally thing where he's like, you know, when you like, you know, someone you and you just you just know and you just want to spend the rest of your life with them. Like this felt the way Junie wrote it. It felt very natural, like someone. Who's just kind of desperate, but it felt natural for him to say. So in chapter 48, Gabe drives her home and they're they're not talking a lot because Thea's kind of quiet and Gabe is a little worried that Thea is shutting down again, which very valid from her last response of commitment. And then she tells him that she loves him too. And it is so sweet. And just the way I, I, in the way it, it harkens back to one of the early chapters where it it was like, I don't, um, I can't cook. And he says, I can, she goes, I still don't want to move in together. And he goes, I don't either. And it's kind of resetting those boundaries again, but as a couple, and Thea realizes, I think, I think the reason Thea was so scared of commitment was because 
she was worried she was going to lose herself again. And she was worried that she will no longer be Thea. It would, it wouldn't be Thea and Gabriel. It'll be Thea and Gabe as a we. And just the way they came together and she realized that she doesn't have to not be herself. I think that was very beautifully put. And yeah, they're a couple now. They're boyfriend and girlfriend. And then kind of with 49 through uh, 50, it's just a lot of them getting into life, what it means to be domestic for them as a couple and showing scenes with them and Thea getting ready to publish her her paper. And then we get 51, which is our epilogue, where it's about two years later. Thea is officially launching her book. And we also get the first physical description of Olivia. And all of us realize, and then she's she's described as having like very colorful glasses and pink hair. And I think all three of us thought she was going to be like a clean LA, like brunette girl. And we were like, wait, what? This is not the Olivia we thought we were having this entire book. Not to say that girls with pink hair can't repeatedly and frequently ride a Peloton in their spare time. But when you tell me that this is all that they do on their FaceTime calls is Pelotoning and then cooking dinner, my mind goes to like TikToker, clean makeup, Alex Ernst. You know, we love Alex Ernst. It's fine. But I did not imagine. Yeah. What is her name? Ramona Flowers from Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Yeah. Pleasantly surprised, yeah. but they also described her with ink, with like ink on her ha- on her hands, and I was like, "Well, now I want to know about Olivia." <laughs> yeah, when is the when is the what's the opposite of social distance? Social uh, anti-social closeness. <laughs> anti-social closeness better than quarantine fuck buddies. I think that has more of a ring yeah. to it. But I almost want I like anti-social closeness, story. but that's just me. Yeah, that's true. That works better. But yeah, uh, and then that is the end of Social Distance by June Yi. Do we have questions from our producer to take us home? You always have questions from your producer to take you home. Yay. Let's see, where will I start? This is a debut novel from Jun Yi. It came out very recently. Would you read another book from her? Did you enjoy this one? And what do you want to see from her in the future? Shall I go first? Go. You have the floor. I have the talking stick. Yes. You you have the talking stick. Just <laughs> <laughs> like making a face like, why do I even try? I would absolutely read another book from Jun Yi. I think especially if we are comparing her novel to our previous two. This is not to dunk on the others, but this almost felt like a breath of fresh air. It was objectively well written. I thought the story itself was interesting enough to span what, like 51 chapters. And I was truly invested 
in the characters. And with all the criticisms of Thea and her actions in the novelist side, it kept for an entertaining and enduring read. And as I was saying a little bit on Olivia, Olivia's character is interesting enough with her relationship with her like roommate housemate type situation that if she wanted to do a sequel, I don't know if that is in the works, but if she ever wanted to do a sequel to Social Distance, I would totally read about Olivia and her housemate. There's a lot of material there that I think you can uncover almost like a different like opposites mirroring situation to Gabe and Thea Mm -hmm. in which they're already living together and went from friends to being partners, I think would be Friends really to lovers. interesting. Friends to lovers, indeed. I am a sucker for it. So yeah, in summary, I would love to see something in the future from Junie. I think she's got a lot of promise and I hope she continues with her writing career. I mean, I agree. I, I really enjoyed this book and I was pleasantly surprised with how well this was written and how well the story is put together. And I, I'm really rooting for her. I really want to, I would, I would love to read more from her. I would love to continue to see like how she grows as a writer. And this was just, it was very, very well done. And I genuinely, I will agree with Lauren. This was a breath of fresh air, but it was, um, this was an like it was a pleasant read. It was a very pleasant book. And I was this is one of the first, I think, romance books in a while that I've genuinely like enjoyed. I read quite a bit of romance. So this one really, I don't know. It just had a lot of good elements of fluff, but also smut. And it was just it was a really good, great balance of like all those aspects. And also just great storytelling. It was very well done. Did you enjoy the ending of the book? Sydney, you should go first. I have thoughts. (laughs) I know you have thoughts. So... The only critique I have for the ending was the time skips. I thought, and it felt a tiny bit rushed, but that's my only critique. The rest of it and the build up to the actual confessions and how they came together and Thea realized that she can still be an individual and still have feelings and feel a connection with another person and Gabe just finally just expressing his feelings and making Thea listen to him was, I think it was, I, I loved it. I'll be real. I thought it was, I cried a little bit when, when, when Thea confessed her feelings, I, I cried a bit and no, it was when Gabe confessed his feelings, I think. And it was just really good. It made me smile and I had a very I had a good feeling after reading it. But Lauren, I know you have a differing opinion. I'm problematic and I'm the bad cop. And that's okay. So because I skipped around the ending, I'm only going to talk about the chapters I read in fairness. So I'm only going to talk about the airport scene. Thea's responding confession and then sort of everything that follows. 
Speaking purely about the content of those chapters and like the way the confession unfolded, the cuteness of the scene, how we're tying up loose ends. I did really enjoy it. I thought the confession was great. As I've already said, it felt like a really nice, like kind of a bow on a present ending. I wasn't left with any real questions or like reservations about the novel at the end. And I felt satisfied except for one thing. And I do want to preface this by saying this is my personal preference as a reader. If you were to ask me the question, what is it for you as a reader that makes a book great? What is a five-star read for, for Lauren? My first thought is always dynamic and evolving characters. To kind of like reiterate all of my criticisms thus far for Thea, I actually like reading flawed characters. I think there is something to be said about an author that can masterfully craft a character that is not meant to be perfect objectively, and maybe even a character we're not supposed to like. But with what I want from stories is for that character to grow through their experiences, through learning opportunities from the environment and the people around them. And I felt like there were a lot of opportunities for Thea to do some real growth here. And I do think there was some of it. I mean, obviously she spends the night with Gabe. She gets into a committed relationship. But for me, I think in order to feel satisfied with her character arc, I didn't feel like that was quite where I wanted it to be. Really, if you look throughout the story, she never definitively apologizes to Gabe for any of her shortcomings or miscommunications. And I still feel like a lot of their situation at the ending was Gabe pandering to her and her needs without her really giving as much back to him and accommodating to like his vision of a relationship. And that's fine. If that works for them, that's great. I'm not saying that is a flawed relationship and something that made me dissatisfied. I just think... You know, for this to have been like a like a perfect 10 out of 10 flawless victory ending for me, I think I would have loved to have seen Thea recognize where she failed in those moments of communication and then given a little bit more actionable steps to rectify that in the future. I want to see her grow with Gabe instead of Gabe growing into her, if that makes sense. Yeah, 100%. You're you're asking Thea to actually I think we actually have a similar critique in the sense of like the time skip at the end I think we Mm -hmm. both kind of and this is like this is just a it's a pretty small thing but it's a small enough thing that it, it can change probably some people's opinion of Thea is that in one of the chapters in which she is sitting there and recognizing what happened with Gabe she realizes how she reacted was wrong. And maybe she realizes she messed up, but she feels like she can't reach back out and tell him that she's sorry. Mm -hmm. I think that would have been like, in like at least just one of the time skips. I think that would have been really effective, but I I can see that. I I think I was kind of, I was definitely in rom-com world by the end of this, uh, where I was like, Oh, Everything's fine. It's a happy ending. Because realistically, I 100% agree with you. This would not be a great start to a functioning relationship. Yeah, but you fiction- should be in rom-com land. I'm just a hard ass. Take <laughs> so everything I say with a grain of salt. <laughs> Fictionally, it's rainbows and kittens, and I enjoyed it. <laughs> As you should. That's valid. I also enjoyed like 99.9999 percent of it i'm just i love i love a good moment of humility 
And Great. I would have liked to have seen that a little more, but that's all right. Maybe next time. Yeah. So coming off of that, were you always rooting for Gabe and Thea? And do you think that Thea deserves Gabe? Mm. Oh, shit. Because the first part of the question, I would have said, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> Does anyone deserve Gabe? I think that's the better question. You're so right. <laughs> You're so right. I. We made so many jokes about him being a simp and being written by a woman, which all of which are very true. I do think he he bent a little bit too far to accommodate to Thea at times, as I've already said. I don't want to beat that horse. Uh, but in that sense, I, I think you're right. Nobody deserves Gabe. Gabe no. deserves Gabe. Gabe deserves Gabe. Gabe deserves how Gabe feels towards Thea. But maybe that's more of like a, a feminine like urge to kind of like maybe and like put that stigma on the head instead of the woman conforming to the man in these modern romance books. Now it's more of the masculine person, masculine presenting person is more will like more flexible to the feminine. And this is also just in straight like heterosexual relation relationships. And I know this doesn't necessarily apply to LGBTQ relationships do you feel like there should have been more interactions with side characters during the course of the book we see adrian a couple of times we see olivia a little bit more but for the most part it is always yeah and gabe here can i actually take this one first lauren please do so I have an interesting thought about this that I realized through the book. I would like more character interactions in the sense of like maybe little texts throughout the day from like Olivia to Thea or I really wanted more from Adrian. I wish he wasn't just like, I'm here to pick up my dog. And then he just kind of disappears for the rest of the book or more interactions between Gabe and his sister, like text messages or like calls or something like that. Anyway, but their interactions make sense because of the fact that they are dealing with COVID because it, it's isolating. Um, so it feels isolated in the book when it, with it just being Thea and Gabe. So while I, I would want more character interactions just to like build out those characters to be a little more three-dimensional, I understand why they're not as included. Like, if this were a traditional rom like rom com book, fully agree with that. I think now that you've said that, honestly, that changes my answer a little bit because I think the infrequency with which we see Adrian and Olivia almost kind of further emphasizes the the COVID nineteen pandemic. The shutdowns, mm -hmm. like not having access to those people. And yeah, I also agree. I totally would have loved a cheeky little text exchange. I got a text uh, from Olivia, but I, I think there's almost like a weird charm to that in that we feel almost isolated with Gabe and Thea. Although I will say mm -hmm. 
I actually would have loved to see more flashbacks of Gabe's relationship with Christina, his ex-girlfriend, because he makes a few references to her throughout the novel and kind of like alludes to the fact that he is the way he is because of his toxic relationship with her in the past. I want to see more of it. I want to I want to know where Gabe like like what has shaped his preferences in Thea, what he has done since then to improve and to become a better partner. Because I think at one point he even mentions that he wasn't a fair partner to Christine because of like his hectic work schedule, things like that. I would love to delve into Gabe as a character a little more. We see a lot of Thea and in her inner monologue would love to see Gabe's. I'm also just thirsty for that man. Again, who deserves Gabe? Gabe. Gabe. Team Gabe. Now we're team Gabe all the way. Team Gabe. So before we get into your fun little rating out of five, I do have some housekeeping stuff I want to go over right now. Listeners, you may have noticed that we are off by a week because of the fan, tipsy fanfic night episode that went up. So both episodes of Social Distance will go up in April and then in May. And then it will be followed by our trope breaking. So another bonus episode for you guys, just so you know, and we'll be back on schedule after that. We have decided to read One Last Stop by Casey McQuiston for our June read. Very excited about that. Sydney is so happy. It's been on our TBR for over a year now. And with that, I ask you both, what is your rating on a scale of one to five of Junie's Social Distance? Question, is this going to be like Goodreads in which we can only rate in whole number increments? Or is this a lawless land? Lawless. Okay. I would give it a 4.5 with the remaining port five for just room to grow. Because I hope Jun Jun Yi, well, does pursue her writing career further. And obviously nobody's perfect the first time around. And I, I fully believe in her potential to be even better the next time and look forward to seeing what she puts out there. See, I give it five stars out of five stars. If I could do six, because, you know, six feet social distance. I would. <laughs> Ashlyn is giving me such a face. <laughs> you can't see my face, but I'm giving you the same. I know, know I know. I'm a punny gal. What can I say? I I give it a five stars because as a debut book, this and while yes, there is obviously we all can learn and grow and become better at what we choose to do. I think she really kind of knocked it out of the park and I genuinely enjoyed it. And I think this is actually my first five stars of this year. That is very high praise. And I'm just really glad we got the opportunity to read this novel. But we hope you also enjoyed it as well, listeners. Yes, I I really hope you guys enjoyed it. And please send some love to June Yi or pick up her book and let us know what you guys think. And again, just a message out to June Yi. We enjoyed your book and you are amazing. We like all love from the Raunchy Power Hour podcast and we... We can't wait to read whatever you do in the future. But that's all for us today, you raunchy rascals. So we will see you next time. Bye-bye. See you later. (laughs) Bye-bye.
Join us next episode where we will read part one of One Last Stop by Casey McQuiston. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Raunchy Power Hour. Find us on Instagram and Twitter at the RPH Podcast. Send us book recs to our email, raunchypowerhour at gmail.com or at the link in our bio on any of our socials. As always, stay raunchy. Stay raunchy.